Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or a real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you successfully sued a corporation only to have the principal claim it had no assets. What did you do? Dennis, we showed after the judgment there was a pattern of the principal taking money out of the corporation for his own personal purposes. And the outcome? After examining and documenting the corporation bank statements, we showed a pattern where the principal was using the corporation as his own personal piggy bank. We were able to show that he personally had a lot of money and should be the real defendant. He thought he could get away with everything by hiding behind the skirts of the corporation, but now he's personally liable. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. And this is the Brucklery Podcast with me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. All right. So the we've been talking a lot about Planned Parenthood in uh, podcasts of the past, right? And it's been this, as we once described it, Ari, this slow-moving train wreck, right? It just, you're seeing it and it's inevitable. It's like truly a slow-moving one, right? Where if you could take a time-lapse photography... No, sorry, a very slow motion movie of a train crashing into another train, let's say. You would see it very gradually moving and bending, right? You know, part of the train comes off of the track, right? And you know bad things are going to happen inside the trains and outside of the trains. And you can see this person waiting on the platform. And here comes uh, one of the cars coming right at him. It ain't going to look pretty, but it's coming, right? And you, you just, and you want to yell out, get out of the way, get out of the way, but you can't do it, right? Because, well, you're just watching the whole thing. But of course, in, in their lives, it's in real time. But, you know, one day we'll look back on the Planned Parenthood situation and it'll be one of those, you know, time, time graphs that they some, you sometimes see at where it says, okay, um, 2014, first released Planned Parenthood video, and then congressional hearings are called for. And then another one, you know, uh, this person says that it's, uh, that it was heavily edited and so on. And it'll all be in one page and you'll, you'll get this picture of like, how come they couldn't see this happening? This was an inevitable disaster and people heads are going to roll and Planned Parenthood, hopefully at the end of the day will be defunded and so on. And, and I think it will. I do think that the bad things are going to happen to Planned Parenthood. And I think it will open up the abortion debate like we never expected it to. And also, it won't just be the defunding. Like Gosnell, someone's going to get convicted here of something oh, serious. God willing, God willing. Uh, so uh, the, the, the point is that they have, all this stuff is happening on the train accident, right? You know that luggages are flying in, inside the, in, in the car. And, uh, and if there's a meal service, well, that's, that ain't too pretty either. And, and there's some hot coffee pouring on some guy's face and... And sharp knives are all over the place, and people you don't even know what's happening to them. But this is what's happening in the Planned Parenthood 
movie. And, and by the way, the same thing with Hillary Clinton and her emails. But let's focus on Planned Parenthood. And, and, and I'm fascinated by this because as we're discussing these Planned Parenthood episodes, and we've talked about them over the past year or so, right? You could actually splice together the various parts that we're talking about for Planned Parenthood and say, okay, well, you know, here's, here's the little movie that, that, that Barack and Ari did together, right? Uh, in, in podcast form, of course, and how we're talking about it and how it seems so inevitable, the things that are now happening. And it is inevitable. And that's what I want to talk about, the inevitability of evil when things are not checked. Okay? Let me put it this way. We once had a, an episode where we discussed in passing that if, if you're in an office, right, and the boss isn't looking and he doesn't really seem to notice anything, and you see a pen that's available to you, and you say to yourself, I need a pen. Uh, I'm going to take the pen. And then you find yourself taking it home. And then you realize, hey, I've got this pen that I got from the office. I should bring it back. It doesn't belong to me. But you forget. And then sure enough, a week passes and the pen is still there. And uh, all of a sudden you think, you know what, it's not a big deal. It's just a, a friggin' pen. And then the next uh, day or week, you, you, you discover that some stickies, sticky pads, right? Post-it notes. Post-its, that's what I mean. What I mean. And you, uh, you take those home because, you know, uh, you need to do some work at home and... And it would be sure useful because, you know, this is for work. And you have a pen. I need something to write on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you find it somehow, you know, either the housekeeper or whatever, you put it into a drawer. And uh, it's kind of, it's found a new home in your house. <laughs> and there it is. And now it's available. And you forgot that you actually got it from the office. And then, you know, you might need a couple of pens and some paper, too, and some paper clips. And all of a sudden... You, you discover that uh, you're taking a whole bunch of stuff from the office. The but it's okay because, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really care, right? It's, it's a drop in the bucket for him. So no biggie. And then, again, no one's talking about it. It's, you know, if you were to add up all the, the money that, that all these various trinkets might cost, it's uh, probably about, what, five bucks, seven bucks? But who's counting, as it were, right? And then you add in more. And more and more. Next thing you know, you've got this treasure trove of goodies and stationery. And no one seems to notice. And you take a little bit here, a little bit there. Obviously, you don't want to tell the boss that you're doing this, but you do it anyway. And next thing you know, you're taking bigger things. And you notice something. Uh, you have the, the ability to write a check. That you see the boss's check there, maybe the business checkbook. And uh, you need a little cash. Because, you know, by golly, the boss hasn't paid you yet, and you'll pay him back. So you write yourself a check for 200 bucks. You know, you need some cash for the weekend. And you write that check out, and uh, no biggie. And you forge his name. You figure the boss wouldn't really care. And he doesn't say anything about it, because after all, his business is too big to worry about such small things. And then you write a bigger check the next week. $300 now, $600. And all of a sudden, uh, you feel like uh, this is a little treasure trove for you. To, and you feel maybe entitled to this. 
because after all, you've gotten away with it before. So you keep on doing it time and time, year after year passes. And as each year passes and you have not been confronted, you begin to believe that you're entitled to this stuff because you know you've done it before. So why not continue to do it on and on? And it, the only time, and then, and you hear this time and time again. One of the city of Bell. Do you remember this? Yeah. Okay. Well, I do. Well, this what I'm describing is very similar to what happened in the city of Bell. Right. Because little, little thefts lead yeah. to big ones. Right. And so suddenly they're taking seven hundred thousand dollar draws for themselves, and no one's the wiser, and they all think it's no big deal, because it's a faceless populace that is paying it. You see. But what what amazed me about those. And I'll get to the Planned Parenthood because you'll see how soon, as soon how, how it relates. What amazed me about the City of Bell employees when they were caught and they were saying, you stole hundreds of thousands and, and, and over the years, millions of dollars, you know, from the City of Bell people. And you're going to go to jail. And they all have this look about themselves, every single one of them. Like, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I did that. They did. <laughs> They don't deny it to their credit, but they just look wild-eyed like, I, I'm so sorry. I, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And I'll tell you what you were thinking. You thought you can, these little things, you, gotta, you convinced yourself that your, your evil was not evil, that it was okay to proceed this way, and that there was a justification for it. You didn't even think it was wrong. And that's why you're so surprised. You have this surprised look on your face when somebody says to you, you're a thief, right? It's so easy to do that. And, and when I think to myself, like, I, I want to always keep my nose clean, right? I, I, I figure you'll you're always be caught. You're people that's just honest to a fault. Well, I appreciate that. But, but at the same time, I, I also don't want to be one of those people that will be surprised one day and say, gosh, I guess doing that was wrong. And I, I'm constantly checking myself. Like, am I doing anything? The equivalent of taking the post-its? I mean, I'm the boss, so... But, but, but you understand what I'm saying. Am I doing anything? Am I doing anything that is, uh, you know, a little nefarious if somebody actually looked at it? And I don't think I am. But nevertheless, the, I don't want to be, like, shocked at myself. Like, wow, how come I didn't see this? Right? But, but those people didn't see it. And, and now we get to Planned Parenthood. Because how did they get to this point? Right? I mean, these are monsters that we see in the videos. And at this point, anyone listening to this podcast know, know what we are talking about. We're talking about people who are evil people that they have done, have engaged in murder. We're talking about what could be, for the first time in 60 years, something close to Nazi level atrocity. Yeah. And that's a lot of people react. How can you say that? When you really look at what really goes on and you compile the actual numbers and the actual statistics, it gets into that realm. Right. It's worthy of at least a discussion. Yes, it is. Well, at the very least, it's serial uh, murder. Mass. It's serial. mass murder. Now, you can say that, that they're different than the Nazis in the sense that uh, they were not uh, engaging in sadistic efforts to, to murder and torture chambers and such like that. Got it. But doesn't matter in a sense. This is, at the very least, it's just systematic, continuous murder. And, and, and they don't know 
they, they, they don't believe that they're doing this murder. They believe they're like the Nazis doing God's work. Yeah. The Nazis were just getting rid of some cockroaches. Yeah. From their in, their, in their minds, that's what they were thinking. And then there's one other element um, that sets us apart. We've talked before about Pol Pot's killing fields. I'm not going to take you far afield on this, mm-hmm. in this quick analogy. But we've talked about like uh, different massacres in history. Only the Nazis are the ones I can point to where they took the parts of the victims and then turned them into products for profit, lampshades, mattresses, so, etc. So yeah. Planned Parenthood is doing that. Yeah. That's why it's so unprecedented, except in the Nazi example. But let's, let's take the—no, I, I appreciate that. Let's take the example of what we just talked about, about the guy who steals a little bit. You know, suddenly he's stealing thousands of dollars from his boss. And then it's so shocked when he's confronted with it. Like, I question, what was I thinking? It was so, it's craziness. This is madness. Why, what, was, what was the matter with me? And these Planned Parenthood people, how does it happen for them? That's the question I have. Where does it start where they say, this ain't no big deal? In other words, when is it for them that it's the, it's the equivalent of taking a pen? Well, the same way. Well, no, uh, but, you, but, you but, but, but let's, let's no, no, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I want to know, and it's, it, it's somewhat rhetorical, but if you have an answer, let me know. When is it the equivalent of taking a pen? How does it start? I, that, that's, that's where it's very interesting for me. Well, there's, there's one step that you have to go back okay. for, the pen thief. The question is, it usually is someone who feels extremely comfortable within the organization they operate in and have been reassured by those around them of their unshakable, irreplaceable value to the organization. So they walk into the situation with a certain amount of hubris about their own grandiosity to the, to the operation. And then they think, well, it's not just the pen, but it's me taking the pen. Of course this boss would want me to have yeah. the convenience of this writing utensil right. all through the day. So similarly, Planned Parenthood goes into this entire equation of events with a certain zeal about their value to the entire place in the abortion culture where this is about women's health, women's rights. This is a holy war from from uh, Susan B. Anthony and uh, you know the suffragettes to today, you know, or something. Right, I some, understand some I, sense of yeah. entitlement like that. So that when that question comes up from just performing an abortion to, you know what? I think we could hedge a little bit of the cost here and pad the organization's profits a little bit yeah. more by doing this one thing. Yeah, but you're you're, Se- you're far- stealing, if you will, this okay. one organ. You're far. You're you're kind of far from where I want to go because, I, and I understand what you're saying, but you're kind of getting to the end of the the, the discussion, and I want to start in the beginning, which is what does it take for you to not be nauseated, to not think that what you're doing is wrong. And I'm not even talking about the sale of body parts right now. I'm, I'm talking about the abortion period. I'm just talking about working in an abortion clinic at all and hearing, let's say, some mother say, I'm not sure if I want to have an abortion. Okay? And, and one of the abortion providers, as they call themselves sometimes, says, no, you want to have an abortion. Okay? And you're a nurse or whatever the equivalent is, and you're hearing this. And you say, do we... Do we want to do this? And, and the, the doctor says, she wants to have an abortion. This is, this is necessary. It's for the best. It's for the best. Yeah. And then you listen to that and say, okay, that's, that's, that sounds fine. And um, 
And then they hear that from the mother saying, okay, well, yeah, I'm glad I did it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's good. So you, you're able to distance yourself. You, first of all, you only think about the mother. You don't see the, the remains, party. as it were, the other party, yeah, as it were. And then maybe, you know, so you're already in the business. You've already kind of gotten soaked in blood, as it were. You, you literally have blood on your hands. And then, you know, you may have a little gnawing feeling about it, but uh, you don't really wonder about it because now you, you, you go about your business. Maybe you're doing other things for the week. And then you, you're called in to do another, you know, assist in another abortion. And this time it's a little bit more challenging, shall we say. It's a younger girl. Uh, she hasn't uh, gotten the ap approval from her parents. And uh, what are we going to do now? Right? And uh, should we tell her about uh, the video that the, uh, in terms of, like, what's going on inside her? Before oh, the mammogram. We, the mammogram sonogram. things. Yeah, sonogram, right. No, no, it's not. She doesn't, you know, we know better. She's just a, a little girl, and she doesn't know better. We, we, we have to help. save her from herself. That's pretty intense, but you say, you convince yourself that's okay because you're doing the good thing for, the, for her because you don't want to ruin her life with a baby, right? And I'm just kind of going through that mental process. I, I can see how it happened. And then it just gets worse and worse from there. At some point, at some point they're participating so much in it that they, and again, I'm, I'm just using my imagination here. I've never worked in an abortion facility. I don't, I, don't, I don't have deep knowledge about it, but I'm trying to understand how you get from that point A to that point B. And, and I, I just want to see that, that logical extension. I want to understand it. Just like I want to understand that the pen to the, to the city of Bell, how, how it leads to that, because something happened there where, you know, regular ordinary folk ended up being massive thieves, right? So I can't believe that these people, if they were told, uh, these people who were just kind of working at these facilities, hey, you know, one day you're going to um, be participating in the sale of body parts and murder of, of babies, come on in, what do you think? They'd say, I ain't doing that, yeah. right? I mean, I, I would like to think that. Uh, no matter where you stand on the abortion equation, I... I you know, I, I, I have to say, but how did they get there? Point A to point B. And there is, a, there is some sort of trajectory that, that explains this. Because they ended up at a point where horrible things happened. Uh, anyway. Uh, well, what comes to my mind is, is, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever gambled before? Yeah, sure. Okay. Or do you have a gambling addiction or a problem? Like, you know how Marge on The Simpsons had a gambling yeah, that's problem? that's right. You, no, and I have nothing okay. close to it. But you though. have gambled before, and you're either bored by it or enjoy it in the moderation that is. But you can understand how people would go from a simple, I'm going to place a bet here or there, to becoming an addicted gambler right. over a period of time, whatever that length of time I, I, is. I don't understand it, but I know that but it happens. But you've seen it happen. Yeah, because I, I can understand I don't have, it's yeah. a reality in life. Right? I, I feel the same way about alcohol. I, I have a little bit of glass of wine every month or so, and, and then I just I can't have any. I don't understand right. alcoholics, but I know that they exist, and they get from one thing to the other. Next thing that's, you know, boom. That's my point. Yeah. People don't start out as problem gamblers or alcoholics or drug addicts from one drink to boom, they're in the in an alley. Right. Okay? It takes some, if you will, I don't know a better word to put in here, but it takes some work and commitment right. to become that. Right. Repeated use, repeated exposure, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
Thinking about what goes on in an abortion clinic, what goes on in the act of a gambler, that, that moment where they get their rush, or drug use, all have one thing in common, power, the experience of ultimate power for that moment. The abortion clinic, you're convincing someone, you're actually making the hardest sale to close. You're trying to essentially sell a used car to someone. But the used car in this case is to tell a woman whose every natural instinct possible is to not do this, to kill her baby. Right. And wow, when you convince, when you, like any sales, it's kind of a rush. Yeah. Like any gamble that you place when you win, that's kind of a rush. Right. Like, and and the reason the analogy is so strong is because when you drink a little too much and you're not an alcoholic, there's a twinge of guilt there, right? I've heard heroin addicts talk about how. They never thought they'd become an addict because the first time right. they shot up, there was a twinge of guilt there. Let, but let, after yeah. repeated use, yeah. the guilt went away. Similarly, probably what happens is after a few of these closed sales to this, the guilt melts away and it's replaced entirely by rush. I, I think you're right. And, I, I think you're right. But there's but, also a big important thing, which is we, we the power yeah. that someone has over someone else. I in think doing you made this. that very clear. Look, I. I Let's take a snapshot of the heroin addict, if you like, um, that, that you just described. Here he is, a straight-A student, click, right? And here he is, five years later, heroin addict in some alley, okay, with the cats, you know, meowing and all that stuff. And, uh, and he's long-faced and everything else, and you can barely recognize the guy. And you say, how did this happen, right? What led from that point A to point B, just like we talked about before? And, and, you know, you, you're coming up with a theory that it's a rush of power, and, 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 and I don't doubt that, that, you know, in the example that you just gave. I, I think it might be something a little bit different. I think in much the same way that we, you know, I think Caesar needed somebody constantly behind him in, uh, when, whenever he went to battle to tell him, it whispered behind him, maybe it's a legend, but this is the legend, um, remember never to... Um, to think so greatly of yourself, okay? He, he needed somebody to tell him all the time because otherwise the he becomes excitement... becomes a god in his own mind. Yeah, the, the excitement becomes a drug uh, that every time he wins a battle, he, he begins to believe himself to be a god. And and the, the man I remember said, this too shall pass, this too shall pass. You know, Remember that you're only a man. And so we always need these checks and balances. And I think that there is, you know, in, in Judaism, we, we talk about the natural instinct, uh, the evil inclination, and, but, but I don't know if these people even feel that they have the evil inclination, that what they're doing is evil. Um, it, it is pure evil. It, it's clearly. But how they step into it and not realize, you know, moment after moment, they're getting into more and more evil over the time. Let me put it this way. Let's say there were no videos of this. And thank God, thank God that there were videos to at least to, to shed light on what's going on here. But let's say there were no videos, and let's let's say we're just talking about a Planned Parenthood clinic on one two three Main Street, somewhere in Los Angeles. And it got it gets to the point where they're now selling, they've gotten away with it. They're now selling baby parts, and for that matter, whole babies, to the highest bidder. You know, because after all, money is money, and if if this dealer buying the, the baby parts is uh, paying 
you know, $5 per liver, well, then maybe he might pay five fifty. You know what? We really do need to, uh, to improve our clinic a little bit better. You know, we, we love the new carpet. We really need the new carpet. Well, well, you know, fluorescent lights are just so dull. We need halogen. Yes. We can see better. Exactly. We, we, we deserve it. We're doing good work. So, you know what? Seven fifty. Starting June 1st, we want seven fifty. Okay, fine. And then it gets to $10. Then it gets to 15 and so on. You get the idea. And then they've, they've realized, you know what? We're already selling babies that we've killed after a day of being outside of the womb. Why not a week after the womb? I mean, you know, we can tell the lady that, you know, she can, we can deliver the baby right here and we'll take care of it. We'll make sure the baby's okay. So you're talking about them asking the question, what difference does it make? Yeah, something like Ironically. that. Ironically. Yeah. What, why not uh, wait a week? I mean, presumably a more developed baby is more valuable to that supplier, that faceless supplier that we don't even know. Why not? Yeah, right? well, I think, are you... Getting... No, but, 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 but one thought, and then I want to hear what yeah. you have to say. It... it it would not stop, is what I'm trying to say, and I, and I want to explore that. It would not stop. Uh, it would ultimately get to the point that they would be actively killing born babies. Or adults, for that matter, if, oh, the, yeah. if the money was possible yeah, yeah. and it, they wouldn't get caught. It would, it, 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 if they weren't caught, it would inevitably lead there. I, I, I know that sounds shocking to a lot of our listeners, but I'm telling you it has to lead there. That's right. And the reason why I, I know that is because of the city of Bell. And because every time beyond city of Bell it's happened, it always happens. Yeah. It always happens. It always happens. People will not stop in their wrongful ways until that they are told that what they are doing is wrong. And if they don't know what they're doing is wrong by a moral code, I don't know, say uh, the Bible, (laughs) okay, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, if they don't have that moral compass, they will stop at nothing. They will continue on. And it's, it's not as if it's not just a, a question of stopping people. None of these people, none of them, whether the people from City of Bell or the Planned Parenthood people or, or that fictional character I just mentioned in my office, none of them wake up in the morning and say, how can I commit evil today? How, how can I get away with it further? On the contrary, they, they say one of two things, either in the Planned Parenthood case, uh, I'm doing uh, great work for, for society, or they say I'm entitled to this, you know, because after all, I work very hard. Yeah, and it goes all the way across the world to Jihadi John at, at ISIS. Yeah. Jihadi John, John doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to do these horrible things because I'm an evil person. Yeah. I'm bad, and I want to be bad. No, right. he thinks he's doing God's work. Yeah. The problem is the information he took in that he believes is God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. That's and, exactly what he And thinks. I think we're, I don't know if we're coming at this from different sides, but I think our eventual mutual conclusion is this. What happened at Planned Parenthood, what happened in, in Auschwitz, this is not unusual. Yeah. Lucky it's rare in the recent scale of, of human society, in the relatively stable world we've had the luxury of living in. But... This is what evil does when it grows like a weed out of control in the hearts and souls of men. Yeah. This is what it always 
does. Right. Because those women who work in Planned Parenthood clinics are essentially upscale, stylish women, well-educated, don't think of themselves as anything but doing great work. for women. When they say we're doing work for women... They mean it. They believe, they believe it. it. They yeah. would pass this, the hardest lie detector test. Yeah. You could shoot them up with sodium pentothal <laughs> and say, now really tell me the truth. They would say the exact same thing. They yeah. believe it yeah. that strongly. Let me tell you. You know what's common? I'll tell you what's common. Rape, polygamy, corruption, murder, um, fraud, deceit of all kinds, child molestation. Incest. These things are very common throughout the world. And they are common for the same reason. Because no one stops them. And because there's not a moral code that, that, are, that is ingrained in them to make them stop. That's the reason why. Corruption in particular, in, in, a, in a sense, because when you think about corruption, so many, virtually every other country other than America and Israel and a couple of other European nations, perhaps, are corrupt. And, and, the, and the reason why is that there is no meaningful checks and balances. Yeah. And even a country like America or Israel or Western European countries have a gigantic amount of corruption for the moral compass that their societies are based yes, upon. Yeah. So that's how... Uh, uh, regular right. and persistent it is. That's right. And, and the founding fathers said it very well. They, they recognized this and they said it's all very good and well to have these ideas and this notion of free market capitalism and democracy and such, but it ain't going to work without God, without a deep founded belief in God. And I, and I love that about uh, the, the founding fathers and, and their recognition of this. Because I think it's so straightforward and, and frankly, so honest and so obvious at the same time. Obvious. See, these, these ladies and men that work in Planned Parenthood, they, um, no, one, no one's there to check them. And nothing is there to check them. And I think one day, these Planned Parenthood monsters will look at themselves in history and say, how did I become this monster? And it would be far worse than the employees of City of Bell, who at worst stole people's money. They didn't kill anybody. But these people, these monsters, will have to continue on with their lives knowing that they killed innocent people. And this will not change. Okay? That is the nature of evil, is that you slip into it. And you will, uh, you'll, you'll continue to commit it, and the evil will get worse. Not just continuing the same thing. It'll just get worse and worse because no one's stopping you. And if you, if you can't be stopped, well, God help us all. This is Barack Lurie. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Why can't I say what they want why can't they just say what they need come clean 
Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case where your client invested $100,000 with her accountant who put her into various fake real estate investments. Yes, the challenge here was that neither the attorney nor the client were really focusing on this case. So what'd you do? At the deposition, I had a big stack of documents that I told her I was going to ask her to testify about and made sure she saw those documents and let her know her serious exposure. We settled for the full amount of the payments my client had paid her. We didn't even start the deposition. Litigation is a lot about understanding the psychology of your opposing party and sometimes the opposing counsel. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. Thanks for listening. And I, and I want to tell you, um, it's, it's an interesting thing. I got a call from a, um, a potential client, and he wanted to know first and foremost whether or not I was black or from Kenya. And, you know, of course, I'm not. Uh, not I'm neither. I'm, I'm white. I'm Jewish. I'm not from Kenya. I'm from Israel originally, right? But, you know... <laughs> And I heard, my, I heard my assistant, she, she handled it quite well. She said, no, he, he's not from Kenya and he's not black. Why, why does that matter, sir? And I thought that was a good answer, right? And I don't know who was trying to chime in. Maybe they were trying to, you know, uh, play into some sort of racist uh, mentality or something. I, I don't get it. But, and, and he said, well, you know, he might want to change his name because, you know, he may be losing a lot of business. And I thought to myself, you know, to the extent that somebody is not willing to retain us as counsel because they perceive me to be black or from Kenya or Africa, then I don't want their friggin' business anyway, right? They can take the racist butt out, right? On the other hand, there's the positive side. I don't get the racist, like I said. And to the extent that they do believe I'm from Kenya or that I'm black, I, I, I'm getting. I'm cleaning up on the large black Kenyan community here in Los Angeles, right? Uh, and of course, there's not that huge, you know, as you said, five or six, right? Um, Who also need a lawyer? Yeah, exactly. Property, yeah, real estate, business disputes. litigation. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, anyway. Yeah, um, uh, but the, that's an interesting thing because he was concerned about your business. Your office is in Brentwood, okay? right? And those hiring you will find that out. So I assume that's not. Secret. No. So he's assuming that your business is going to suffer because you're perceived as a member of an ethnic minority that the vast racist population of Brentwood right. would be apprehensive about hiring. Well, it's not just Brentwood. It's everywhere, you know. So I, I don't know. I, like I said. Because it, if it, it was Palmdale or Lancaster, eh, Bakersfield. It, it, it's so stupid, of course, right? But. Look, I've, I've had this name all my life, and um, you know, and, and once Obama came onto the scene, I, I'm sure that a couple of people made the, the incorrect assumption that I'm either black or from Africa. 
but what do I care? You know, it's, I mean, but it's, just, it's so stupid. I mean, anyone who thinks that automatically is obviously a moron, right? <laughs> By definition. At best. Right. I mean, you're, you're Ari, right? And yes. you're white. Therefore, all Aries are white. I mean, how about William? I mean, <laughs> there's, a, there's a black uh, gentleman I met whose name was William. Uh, okay, all Williams now. I mean, how, how stupid do you have to believe, uh, to be, to believe that kind of, uh, you know, generality? I, I, where do people get this? Anyway, I, I guess they assume, in, in fairness, that uh, Barack is an unusual name. That it's not like William. And the first time they heard the name Barack for many of them is because of the president. And so they assume that this is a unique African name from Kenya, and therefore I've got this Kenyan name as well. I don't know. But it's, it's, it does reflect this um, anecdotal thinking that so many on the left are engaged in, right? Uh, you know, they... they they see one person who's homeless, and they decide that we need to change the entire system because you know I've seen I know a homeless person, and and uh, therefore uh, we need to to completely revamp our entire structure and government, and of course Obamacare and what have you. Right? They say it in their rhetoric of their speeches: if one child is hungry, if one person yes. doesn't have the job they want, right. We've got to change the whole right. system. Yeah. Which, which could apply to Leonardo DiCaprio doing an action movie when really he wants to do the movie that will get him an Oscar or something. Yeah. You know? yeah so well went to him. He only made $20 million, but no statuette at the end of the well, year. Well went to him. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, or or my, one of my favorite ones is the atheist one where they say, well, I know an atheist and he's a nice guy, right? Therefore, atheism is great or is at least okay. Like, really, this is how you think? I mean, why not say the same argument about communism, right? I know communist, and he's a nice guy. Therefore, communism is good. I, I met a Manson, you know, Marilyn. <laughs> he was fine. Why can't we let Charles out of prison? <laughs> Have a heart. All Mansons must be <laughs> All good. Mansons must be fine. Yes, yes. But this is, this is the way so many on the left think. They, they, they just... And I know a lot of you on the left think, oh, come on, I, I don't think like that, Barack. That's, you're, you're not being fair. Well, really? Am I? I mean, check in with yourself. Let, let me ask you the simple question. If you are the kind of person that believes, going back to the atheism thing, if you believe that the, the, the mantra that you hear all the time, which is a totally false mantra, that uh, more evil has been caused in the name of religion than anything else, right? You've heard this phrase. Then, then you really are you're an idiot if you really believe this. Yeah, I think you're an idiot if you think that. How can I say that with such boldness? Okay, I'll tell you. Because to, to say that, first of all, and to therefore reject religion, right, uh, of course, it just ignores everything else uh, that uh, godlessness has, has brought on society. Everything, right? It's because religion is something that you can actually look to. There is an institution, right? It's not as if there's an institution of atheists out there, right? What does the Pope of the Atheist Society have to say about this? No, there's nothing like that, right? So you can't point to them and say, it's like, uh, uh, what is it? what's the word I'm looking for? Um, something that's not stable, so you can't grab onto it. Fluid. Like, yeah, it's, it's fluid. I mean, how do, you, how do you grab onto a bunch of water, for example, or air, right? You can grab onto a rock, but you can't, can't grab onto air or, or water. It, it slips through your fingers. It's not tangible. And that's what atheists and atheism is all about. 
not tangible. So, but, so they don't see that evil is coming as a result of the chaos in a world without religion. And the vacuum that's, that is created by the lack of right. ideology that is then filled there by that chaos. Beautifully said. Exactly right. So all they, they have to look at as with, with association is you know, religion and evil. Ah, I see some religion. I, I see it committing some evil. Never mind that it's the only light in, in a very dark cellar. Right, and you don't know what else is going on. And they also never mention all the good it's done. Oh, of course. You know, it just it, it crusades. Yeah, but what about those uh, nuns who are feeding the poor? Yeah. What about the Calcutta? university system? What about the development of science? Yeah. What about like writing? What about medicine? Bibles and books? No, no. There was a, there was an Inquisition. <laughs> That's right. Throw yeah. it out. Yeah, but that was four hundred years ago. Yeah, yesterday. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's 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 absurd, right? But. But then there's the additional argument that they, again, the anecdotal thinking. And this is the one where they say, well, because bad things have happened uh, by some, you know, religious priests or reverends, rabbis, what, 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 imams, of course. Well, then we should chuck out the whole uh, notion of religion altogether, right? Okay. So, and the classic example that you can think of right away is the priests with the, the child molestations. Horrible. Of course it's horrible. So let's get rid of all Catholicism. Let's get rid of all religion altogether because of these, these bastards who did what they did. Okay. So um, why not use the same argument and say, look, there's been some corruption among judges, right? Let's get rid of the whole legal system, right? That's a great example. Yeah, it, I, I think been, so. There's been a bad cop. Get rid of the police. Yes, that's my next example. Exactly. There's some cops. So therefore, the whole, the whole uh, underpinnings of, of this legal system and the police system. And, and how about the military? There have been bad things that the military has done. Therefore, uh, no country should have any military. Thank you very much. Sandy Hook happened. Ban all the guns. Yeah, well, there's a great there's example. pollution. Ban all the cars. <laughs> right. right. It, it, there's it, some GMOs. Ban all the food. <laughs> but my point is that they, they have such a high standard when it comes to religious institutions, which are run, after all, by human beings. Yes. And it turns out human beings, I'm going to shock you, are flawed. Right? Really? Yeah, but, but they Even think, liberals? Right. But the atheist somehow thinks that by virtue of them going into a religious institution, that uh, they have a calling, let's say, to become a priest. But therefore, the only way that it could be legitimate is if they in turn become perfect, right? That the, the priest doesn't have uh, any weaknesses, doesn't uh, want to, you know, sometimes steal money, sometimes do the terrible things that they have done. It's going to happen. But I, I, can, I can guarantee you that as horrible as what happened in the Catholic Church occurred, it is far less than the population at large. Okay? And this applies even more so when you talk about the rate of killing, the rate of rape, the rate of theft, and corruption, generally speaking. And directly relatable in the analogy, and the rate of child molestation. The rate of child molestation out in general population was probably a higher rate than the rate yeah. of within the... Well, that's what I'm saying. Energy. That's exactly what yeah. I'm saying. And, and it should be zero, of course, uh, but nevertheless, um, the, the fact that it happens uh, very infrequently, but, but nevertheless, certainly on a showcased level, uh, that does not somehow um, destroy the notion of the entire Catholic Church or somehow... Uh, make it a dismissive element in our society. This is the way they think. This is how they think, anecdotally, and what they see what they see, and they make an association, and then nothing else matters. Okay? But, but when it comes to things that are apolitical or a religious, 
If you apply the exact same reasoning, well, it, it leads to the absurd results that we're talking about. All right, I, I, I wanna talk about um, Hillary Clinton and, and more now as a cautionary tale, right? What, what, Hillary Clinton is quickly becoming a footnote. Have you noticed this? And a punchline. And a punchline, exactly right. Well, both. Yeah. Now, uh, we like to make these podcasts as timeless as we can make them, right? So, Ari, I'd like you to describe to me just briefly the latest episodes of uh, discoveries of Hillary Clinton about her emails and otherwise. Okay. Well, it looks like she didn't hire a very good IT team to throw the server in the East River. The FBI took <laughs> position of it. And lo and behold, they've been recovering all of the data off of it. They haven't released it to the public, but they have everything. Then they have... See... She claims that she had no classified... Actually, her actual claim is, I had no uh, items marked classified on my server or in an email form. Right. Um, but, and we've discussed this in past shows, that secret documents are not necessarily stamped with something that says classified on right. them. Furthermore, as it turns out, as Secretary of State, you have the ability to create out of the ether and type it into an email information that winds up being classified because you are the person who created it and things you know and have talked to others about are secret. Right. So I, I, I think that the, the country has f figured out that this this mantra of, oh, there was nothing marked confidential uh, or whatever, uh, classified, uh, that I think they realized that she was BSing everyone. That was clear. And now even she is not making that same Mantra, but go ahead. Yeah, but then here's the real kicker. They didn't find this on her email server or in her email inbox. They found this on an email inbox of someone named former uh, General David Petraeus. Yes. And in inboxes that he possessed, that he received emails from her email address associated with that server that contained classified, classified. secret, yeah. uh, top secret information. Busted! Jail! Here you go. Right. Yeah. And it should be jail. Um, this is... Um, it, we talked before in the beginning that um, that there is a, an issue uh, of her becoming a footnote very quickly. And, and and doesn't it feel that way at this point? I mean, look look at the way we've been speaking about her in, these, in this past year um, where she was considering to be uh, the presidential nominee. Everyone knew that she was going to. And then all these scandals that have begun to happen, Benghazi being the first among the major ones, there, there have been previous scandals, of course. But then the email thing came out as a result of the Benghazi uh, committee analysis investigation. So, and then it just got worse and worse. This, it's a slow drip because every week something comes out. It's the worst of all worlds for her, right, because she doesn't even know what, what is out there. At this point, I mean, thousands and thousands of emails. How is she going to possibly remember them all? And then there's the deletion of the emails and the wiping of the emails and the fact that she had the server in her own private residence. When, and then the marked classified, not classified, and and it doesn't matter whether and it's don't marked classified. The second server in the Colorado toilet. Yes, the second. Good point. And it, it's all very unseemly, and she's constantly on the defensive. And there's, you know, at this, I never thought we'd get hear this quickly. Well, also, it would be one thing if her speeches were Reagan-esque or 
Um, yes. You know, uh, what was that? Uh, the Gettysburg, uh, Gettysburg Address level oration of, of Lincoln. But when she speaks, forget all these scandals. When she shows up to give a speech in an auditorium, it's dreadful. Yeah. She is a terrible candidate. She is unattractive on screen and on stage. Just, I'm not saying she's pretty or ugly. I'm just saying she comes off as unattractive, she's, unpolished. She's, yeah, unappealing. She's or... boring when she opens her mouth. Right. Yeah. And you, then on top of it, the dishonesty. You, you, uh, when there are other candidates, whether whether it's Bill Clinton, let's use one on the Democrat side and one of uh, on our side. On the Bill Clinton side, uh, you know, when he walked into a room, there was a lot of excitement. There was buzz, right or wrong. There was there was buzz. Whenever he came to the room, people felt this magnetism uh, about him. Fine, uh, but at least there was excitement about it. And uh, Ronald Reagan, of course, the same thing. There was a there was a magic in his oration, and uh, you really did want to see what he has to say. And here here he comes. But with uh, Hillary Clinton, far differently than her husband, you you begin to realize, wow, it's the the, the vastness of the gulf between her persona, her charisma, and the charisma of her husband is, it seems so much more clear than ever before. It's so large, it's immeasurable. It's immeasurable. It's, it's like infinity wraps upon itself, right? Yeah, you know, it's so, a different universe yeah. level. And, and so you begin to realize the only thing they have in common is their daughter and the last name Clinton. That's it. I, I don't think that there's anything else they have in common. So, and I bring this up because I want to talk about her as a cautionary tale. Here's a woman that in 2008 um, lost to Obama, and uh, she felt that she was entitled to it back then. And I think the reason why she lost to Obama, yes, uh, Obama was the first black president. There was an opportunity to vote for a black person. But it, it was easy. He made it easy to vote for him because there was no excitement about her. She was a woman who stood for nothing. Um, it's it, like that Seinfeld episode, remember? We're, we're a show about nothing. And that's who she is. She's a show about nothing. And, and people will, will gravitate right, you know, to something. They, they want to know. It's like we talked before about this, um, that America is a country about something. It's about when the, the first words you think about America is? Freedom. Freedom or liberty, right? Uh, and, and it's hard to think of a definition of many other countries. You know, France, you think about croissant. baguettes and croissants, right? And cafe. That's about it. And Say England. What? And say England to me. Oh, yeah. And, and oh, how about England? Indian food. <laughs> there you go. Very good. Good, good point. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. Well, <laughs> it's really true. But anyway, so, so you get this, the, the idea. It's not about anything. And, and everyone has to be about something. Now, Obama, you know, again, right or wrong, he came in and you get the sense he's going to transform America. And presumably for the better, of course, that's what they wanted. Yeah, he doesn't tell you the other half yeah. of the sentence and but, still hasn't. But, yeah. but you but you get this feeling like good things are going to happen. Yes. Okay? You don't know what's going to happen, but you, good things are going to happen. With Hillary, you didn't get any sense about anything. She was truly about nothing. And so people say, well, you know, they wanted a black before they wanted a woman. No. No. They wanted this man, this person over that person. Can That's I, what happened. Can I make it even a little bit more kind of 
honed in on this. Yeah. I said this to my wife. We used to, the first fight we ever had in our relationship was about Hillary Clinton. She actually liked the Clintons. She was kind of like you back then. She mm-hmm. liked Hillary. Hillary's a woman, you know. Hey, Hillary, woman, yeah. Right. And I blew my stack at her. I said, this wretched, yeah, I'm not going to say the words, but we got into a big fight about, you know, Travelgate and the Whitewater and all this. And over the years, I convinced her to show her what a wretched person Hillary was. And she figured it out. And she, by the time the 2008 vote happened, she was then a Republican and smart. And uh, what a beautiful story. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm crying here. Yeah. But the point is, the same way many people voted for uh, Ralph Nader instead of Al Gore, who were Democrats, costing Al Gore the election, I made that prediction about Hillary over those years. I said, people hate her. People do not want to vote for her. It's not that Obama beat her. It's that people didn't vote for her. Yeah. Flat out. Yeah. They were voting for him to vote against her. And these were Democrats. Forget the Republicans who can't see Yes, her. yes. No, no, but and you're seeing the same thing today I, I, with I the Sander mania. I know. I, but I want to talk about, I want to see the big picture here for a second. Because she's a cautionary tale. That's the first thing I said about her. And I mean it because she was about nothing. Okay, so let, I, I, that's where I kind of want to stick. In 2012, it turns out, you know, she hasn't learned anything about why she actually lost the 2008 election. And, and the reason why you lost Mrs. Clinton is because you were about nothing. You didn't give anything to anybody to say why they should vote for you. It's not enough that you don't have a penis. It's not enough that you have a vagina. It's not enough that you say certain words. You, you have to, to evoke passion. And to be about something. And, and that, uh, you know, Madam Clinton, you, you do not have. You, you, it's, and, and you could have it if you actually believed in it. Look, you're a good writer, all right? I think I consider myself a, a good writer, too. And I've noticed something about myself as a writer that I really write well when I have a topic that I'm passionate about, Right. Yeah, gets rid of writer's block like that. Yeah, it's boom, amazing. all of a sudden. Yeah. Well, you know, tell me, you get me started on God, and I'll, I'll tell you how much, I, how, why I, I believe so passionately in God and why we all need to believe passionately in God and to know that there's a God and so on. I will make that all day long, and I'll have such a good time at it. It will not even be work for me, okay? And, but, but she's not that. She doesn't know what she's even passionate about. She just kind of, she feels that uh, it's her turn and the musical chairs has uh, the music has stopped, and she deserves a seat, and she should be the only one left standing, or left uh, you know having a seat. And it just turns out that there are still other people out there, and and they have passion, and, and she's going to lose on this thing. I, look, it's possible that she'll get the presidency. So certainly, it's possible. Anything is possible. At this point, I give it a thirty percent chance that she'll actually win the presidency. And that's assuming that she gets a nomination, of course, which is a, a prerequisite. Yeah, you have to assume the Democrat process is rigged enough that she actually wins it somehow. Right. And then you have to assume that the, the Republicans nominate someone like Jeb Bush that no one will vote for. Yeah. And yeah. there's her. But the chances of that happening based on what's happening in the mood of the country right now are basically none. Yeah. Very, very little. Here's what, what I want to convey out there is that you, you cannot achieve anything unless you believe in it. Right, I, and that's why Bernie Sanders is gaining such strength. I don't think he'll become the nominee. I, I don't think he'll become the president. But what explains his bizarre rise is that he truly believes what he says, as stupid as it is. 
right? It's socialism. I mean, he admits that he's a socialist, and I respect his admission about that. But he's a moron. But he's a passionate moron, okay? And that's why he's gaining, right? And that's why Jim Webb and o O'Malley are not gaining. They're, they're not really about anything either. You know, they, they could be about something, and that's why Trump is gaining, he is also passionate. He's passionate about the immigration thing. He's talking about making America great again. I think that's his uh, motto. Um, he, um, he, he, he understands this. He, and and he, not only that, but he's also putting his financial back into it. So he's passionate both emotionally and also financially. People respect that. That's the reason why, right? It's a cautionary tale, my friends. And it's, it's cautionary just for not only for other politicians to look at, but to learn from ourselves, you know, it's, I don't think anything can be done without passion. And, and my son the other day asked me, Dad, you know, he's 10 years old. And he's such a bright kid. He says, uh, you know, if you were not married to mommy and if you didn't have a family, would you stay home later on at work? Right. And I said, yeah, I would. Um, why is that? Well, because I, I like doing the work that I do. And, and it would make me more money if I worked a little bit harder. So why don't you do that, he says. And I said, because I like being with you. I, you know, I, I have passion for being with my family. I value that deeply. And he nodded his head, and he seemed to really appreciate that. But it was, a, it was an interesting call um, about that. I, I, I thought he hit home a very important point that elucidated it for me, that passion is everything. Anyway... Uh, Hillary uh, Clinton, uh, I, I wonder where you're going to be uh, in, in the near future. Because I, 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 in essence, see you fading into the dim recesses of history. And you'll look back and just say, you know what, uh, somehow the party betrayed me. She's going to be one of these angry, disgruntled women that uh, feel scorned. Uh, you know, and you know these people who, who feel that uh, men just don't understand them um, or that they're intimidated by an intelligent, powerful woman. You know, one of these things. That, that's, that she's going to be angry at the country, right? Unless she's president, of course. Even if she gets the nomination and then loses the general election, she's going to feel the same way. She, she'll be so scorned and, and that uh, she's, she'll be disappointed in America. She's the opposite of the concept of Dayenu, you know, in, in uh, uh, Pesach, yeah. the concept of it's been enough. enough. Yeah. Well, this miracle would have been enough. That mir we got all of them, but that would have been enough. It's never enough for the Clintons. No. Uh, no. A governorship, attorney general, presidency. I want more, more, more. Because it's all about power for them. Yeah. So, so she'll, she'll fade off in the dim recesses of history, but it's... it's um, but, but she'll, you know, it's like the, the, it doesn't have to be a woman, by the way. I don't mean, I, I don't mean to focus on women, but because she's a woman, you know, you, you've met these women and men that you just look at them and they're 55 years old, 65 years old, never been married, never even, you know, had a, an engagement. And they're just out there and just saying, you know, one day I'm going to meet a really nice guy and, and all this stuff, and he should be this and he should be that. And, and, and you just know that they're never going to meet that guy because there is no such animal, right? That they want a, a man who is both very rich, um, is very accomplished, and uh, Jewish, if, if, they, if, they, if they're Jewish, for example. And very obedient. Very obedient. Very handsome, by the way. And also listen to their every need and also understand what their feelings are all the time, 24-7. And, of course, there is no such animal, as we say. 
And oh, and of course, they're working for Greenpeace in the, in the meantime. You know. Okay, so that's what they want. And, and you say, you just kind of shake your head and you know that this will never work. They still believe it and it just won't ever work. And likewise, to be fair to women, it, it, it applies to men too. I, I know more than a few men that uh, claim to want to get married and they just, there's something that's holding them back and you know it's holding them back. There's one gentleman I know that, that all he does is he, you know, he has a collection of superheroes in his apartment. You know, all these icons and I know stuff like a girl that. who would be into that. Okay, well then let's let the See, let's them uh, that that we can work with. Problem solved. Yeah, but but you you understand. I mean, as a as a general rule, you, you just say I'll call him John. John, you ain't gonna get any nice girl interested in you of any serious consequence uh, unless you get rid of the the stupid memorabilia and the superhero action figures. It's just childish, right? And and you know they go to uh, whatever Comic Con or something like that all, you know every year and and they reenact the Civil War stuff and <laughs> whatever it is that floats their boat, and you just say you know the reason why you're you're never going to get married is because you have these crazy expectations and for that matter a distorted view of reality, okay? And we all have that to some extent. I'm sure I have some distorted view of reality. Yeah, but you have a girlfriend or a wife. Yeah, I've a, children, I've a, which means no matter what your worldview distortions or personal flaws or hygiene uh, <laughs> shortcomings are, right. some woman overlooked it. Yes. Same with me. That's right. I, we, I, we've made it. We won the game, right. okay? And you win the game by fooling these women. <laughs> Continually. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So, <laughs> anyway... Um, or as I say, you know, the, the trick to get to getting somebody like my wife is to uh, be there just at the moment that they decide to lower their expectations. That, then you're good to go. Right. That, that's where I was. Anyway, uh, but but it's not just you know the dating scene. It's you know some people that you meet that have a uh, uh, they, they they imagine themselves they're going to be millionaires, but you know they never will because well. You know, they, they don't know how to take a little bit of risk. Or work the, or save or... Yeah, well, that's true. No, but, you know, I'm in the legal field, and I know a lot of attorneys out there, and attorneys tend to be risk-averse. And, and they talk about how they're going to they're gonna make a lot of money one day, one day. One day. And, and, and I know that there, you can't make money in certain industries without branching off on your own. And you taking charge of, of what your firm is going to be like or your company is going to be like. And I smile as they say their piece, and I just know they'll never become wealthy. And and likewise, um, you know, like you just said, you if you don't save, if you don't know how to control your expenses, or for that matter, child rearing. You know, there there are more than a few parents that I know that they they are they're they're constantly at war with their kids. They're little kids, and the kids are constantly controlling them, and they think that's the standard. And they look to me like. With a smile, saying, "You understand, Mr. Lurie, or you understand, Barack. You know what it's like, don't you?" And I and I say, "No, it's not like that for me. I, my kids are very pleasantly, pleasant and well behaved. And thank you very much. Yes, they have their quarrels here and there, but by and by, uh, I can't wait to be with my kids. You know, and and so many other parents, they can't. Anyway, the point that I say, not to tout to my own horn or to say that I have all the answers. I know that I don't. But what I can say is." There, there are those people that you know just don't get it. They, they have a mental block somehow. And Hillary Clinton is such a person. She just doesn't get it. And she is a cautionary tale for all of us. Look what happens when... And, and, and her weakness is an utter failure of passion. Utter failure to understand what she's about. I will be talking on my Sunday show about, about this very point. 
and how she will be anything to anybody for the highest price, as it were. And that price sometimes is money, and that price sometimes is votes. And you'll see that you just can't, you can't win this way. And that's why you and I, Ari, predict that she will lose. And why you will lose if you do, if you adopt her policies of being about nothing. My friends, this is Barack Lurie. Thanks for listening.